0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, hey, morning, Frontline. It's good to see all of you. It's good to have you join in if you're watching online. Uh, For those of you that are parents in the room, so if you have kids, uh, whether they're young, brand new, middle, old, I don't know, if you have kids at all, don't you have a different level of appreciation for your parents now that you have your own children? Anybody else in the room, some of the yeses are louder, some of them are quieter on purpose, right? Because we know, it's like, I remember my parents told me when I was a kid, I'm praying you have a child just like you someday. And I remember in my ignorance, I said, me too. And I got one. I actually, I got one. And I understand the prayer now. And I understand. Uh, I wanted to show you a picture of my family. You haven't seen my family maybe in a while. We just welcomed Jordan into our home about two months ago. So Jordan is the baby here. Uh, He was born December 22nd. And then we also had Judah. So Judah is our three-year-old. So our family has changed a lot. And if you have kids, you know the dynamic changes every time you add a new one to your family. Uh, It sure changed everything when we had Judah. Because it was like, wow, I'm no longer the center of my wife universe. So that was a change for me. But then Judah, it happened to Judah this time. You know, Jordan comes home and I'm like, welcome to the club, buddy. You just got demoted just like your dad. (laughs) So this has been different, right? It's like Judah went from being the only grandchild. So we only child in our house, only grandchild on both sides, no cousins. He is, what's the word? spoiled. He is spoiled. He doesn't have to share. He doesn't have to do anything. I mean, Shannon and I, we're so brand new. I'm very comfortable standing in front of you and saying, we get manipulated by our three-year-old all the time. All the time. We fall for it. We fall for it. Dad, he comes out right now. Every time we try to put him to bed, something's wrong, right? And I'm so gullible. What is it? What's wrong? What's, what what do you, is something, you feel sick? You feel, Um, um, because, uh, I was like, I think this is a lie. Nothing's wrong. You don't want to go to bed, do you? (laughs) No, this is, this is our life. So here's the deal. We brought Jordan home. Some behavioral modification things needed to change with Judah. Okay, number one, potty training. We don't like doing two kids. We chose, let's let's do diapers for one. Diapers for one, Judah, that means time to step up. So he's doing great. It actually happened really quick. Uh, now we're just working on not peeing on the wall when we're going to the bathroom. We're working on just aiming right into the water. Uh, sharing toys, we're still working on that one. We have a small group. We had them over even this last week. Uh, they brought uh, one other year and a half year old and I'm just watching Judah not do well sharing. So instead of practicing with Jordan, because he doesn't care right now, he's a baby, Judah is practicing with other people's kids, and we're doing okay, right? Uh, Staying in bed, I literally wrote this one, just shoot me, I'm just so sick of playing the bedtime game, Uh, but then this last one here, um, how to treat a baby, that's what we're working on with Judah this week. On Monday, Shannon was upstairs; she was getting ready, and all of a sudden, she heard screaming—like screaming—coming out of Jordan's mouth, our baby. So she flies down the stairs. She goes, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? They're like, what happened?" What? And Judah is sitting there, and this is how you, you're like, "What did you do?" He's sitting there going, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so, Judah. What did you do? What? Can you tell me what you did?" "I'm so sorry." I'm, just, "Tell us. What did you do?" And he goes. I bit his finger. <laughs> you what? So I, I have the debrief, right? I'm at work. I come home and I go, can, can you explain this to your dad? Because your dad's going to talk about you now on Sunday. I need to understand the full story of what you did. And he goes, well, well, I bit his nail. Jordan, what we think happened is he accidentally scratched Judah in the face and Judah's a nail biter. So he goes, I'll fix it for you, buddy. And he grabs his hand and he starts biting his nail and Jordan lost his mind like anybody would. So here, this is all I want you to hear. We're working on some behavioral modification in our house. Anybody else know what I mean? Anybody else? His intentions are usually good, but his behaviors could use some work. That is true of all of us. It is so true that often we come in, we have good intentions. We want to do the right thing. We want to be good. We want to get better or improve. We want to earn something. Maybe it's affection from somebody else. Maybe it's just better our lives in some way. Our, uh, our intentions are usually good, but our behaviors are what could use some work. That's why Planet Fitness is full of people. Probably right now. It's full of people trying to change a behavior in their life. Meyer. that's why they have a healthy food section. I don't know where it is at the store, but they have a healthy food section where people are trying to better their lives. Habits, people trying to stop doing what's bad, start doing what's good. Uh, Maybe office, have you heard of a performance improvement plan? That that's help changing your behavior. The judicial system works that way. The court system works that way. The, the penal system, as far as like jail or prison or probation, it works that way, right? We're trying to change the behaviors. Here's a big question: Do you ever feel like God just wants you to change your behavior when you come into church? When you think about a relationship with Him, do you ever feel like God just wants you to change, to be better? You ever try? I get so frustrated. I mean, most of my life, I I wrote this down. Most of my life, I was the kid that could not behave. And no matter how hard I tried to shake it, no matter how hard I tried to outrun the reputation, no matter how hard I tried to to alter my behavior, to alter my tone, to alter my words, to alter how I interacted with my siblings, no matter how hard I tried, I kept falling short over and over and over and over again. I kept earning the title. Isn't it true at some point you just embrace the title and you just go, I won't change. I'll never be free from this. I'll never shake this reputation. I'll never shake this behavior that I keep coming back to. I'll never shake. At some point after frustrating times and seasons trying to change over and over and over, even in our relationship with God, sometimes we just quit. And we say, I guess I'll never change. I guess I can't do it. I guess I'm going to disappoint God. Most of my life I had an aversion to God because I felt like I couldn't earn his affection. Maybe he would love me. Maybe he would answer my prayers. Maybe he would do something good for me. Maybe he would have a plan for my life if I could just be better. And I carried it with me every Sunday in seats like you're sitting in right now. What's funny is Paul, the apostle Paul, he wrote half of the New Testament. He's writing a letter to the church in a little town called Colossae who struggled with the exact same thing. A Bunch of new believers, they come to faith in Jesus and their belief was they started mixing like, like baking cookies. They start bringing a little bit out of Christianity, a little bit out of mysticism, a little bit out of Judaism, a little bit about out of Gnosticism. They, they kind of pulled them all together and this product that they created was a belief that if I mix knowledge and good behavior, if I mix effort in, if I mix all of these things in plus a little bit of dabbling in all of the other ones, I can actually earn my own salvation. I can actually get right before God. I can do it. I can earn it. I can do it myself. Paul ends up in prison. So in 63 AD, he writes them a letter. And in the letter, he says this, for this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's key, especially for Gnostics, Gnostics, right? Who, Who believe I can earn it, I can work it. He's speaking about the knowledge here, the knowledge of his will, talking about God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good way. That's the behavior piece. So well, I understand Paul's writing. I understand you want to learn. You want to grow in knowledge. You, you want to lose the ignorance. You want to earn your way into right standing with God. But, but your behaviors are an important piece of that, but you can't control that. Here's what he says. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Isn't it funny when we work in our own effort trying to change our own behavior, endurance gets way shorter. We, we actually can't do very much for very long on our own. Isn't that frustrating? It's frustrating to this local church. We're just trying to be better. We're trying to earn it. We're trying to do it ourselves. We're trying to mix and match and figure out what's the winning combination. And he goes, I, I want you to endure Jesus did something for you on the cross. I want it to last your entire life. I don't want you to think you have to earn it and keep coming back. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So far I'm tracking, right? Paul is praying for them. He's ministering to them. He's writing to them saying, stop choosing all of these other things. You don't need a behavioral modification program. Time out all of you in the room, you don't need a behavioral modification program. If you're watching or listening online, you don't need a behavioral modification program. You need something different because no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you can't change it on your own. Here's what he says, let's keep reading. For he has rescued us. Colossians 1, 13. If you have a Bible, underline it. If you you have your phone, write it down. Screenshot it. Take a picture of this. This is so important. If you build your whole life on these four four words, it'll, it'll change everything. For he has rescued us. Five words, okay? Math, whatever. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's Paul's big statement. You can't do it. You need a rescuer. You can't earn it. You can't change it. You need someone to bail you out. You need someone who can pay the price for you. You need someone who can pull you out of the depths, who can save you from the darkness. You need someone that can do it on your behalf. You cannot do it on your own. Here's what they believe, right? The Colossian church that he's writing to. Jesus plus good behavior plus willpower plus knowledge equals salvation. And Paul says, you're wrong. You're wrong. Paul's sitting in a prison cell writing this letter to them. He's saying, you're wrong. You can save yourself just as much as I can release myself from prison. You're wrong. You can't do that. You can't change that. That's not even the gospel. The gospel is Jesus rescued you. Say it a different way. The cross is a rescue operation, not a behavioral modification program. Let's take it one step further. The cross is a rescue operation from a behavioral modification program. So many of us adopt our lives today in this world, right? 2022, as we live, as we learn, as we grow in our relationship with God, we think on some level, I have to change to earn it. And we can't. It's impossible. The behavioral modification program that all of us are on ends in the same place for all of us. Fell short. Fell short. Some of us maybe by a little bit, others by a whole lot. All of it's the same. We all fall short. We can't change it. We can't fix it. We can't save ourselves. He says this, Colossians 2 verse 13, he keeps reading. He says, when you are dead in your sins, so not like struggling, not gasping for air, not almost dead. He says, when you are dead. When you're done, when you're KO'd, when you're knocked out, not even KO'd, when you're out, you're DOA. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you were empty, when you were broken, when you were done, God made you alive. What behavior modification took place for God to do that? It was nothing we did. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the, say it with me, the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Not only our sins, but the ability, the behavioral modification tendency that we have that I could fix it. He said, crucify that too. He nailed it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross when you were dead in your sins. That means in process, while you were doing all of these things, let's go to this next slide here, while you were fixing it, numbing it, avoiding it, ignoring it, blaming it, denying it, clicking it, swiping it, eating it, drinking it, smoking it, watching it, bopping it. When you were doing all of these things, In the midst of it, ongoing, right in the middle, caught in the act, dead as can be. He's saying, Jesus made you alive. Wasn't your behavior. Wasn't your effort. It was his. Right in the midst of our deepest pain, our deepest shame, our deepest brokenness, our deadest dead. He said, Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. What good news. What good news that it's not up to me to change me. What good news that I'm it's not my responsibility to undo all of what was done to me or what was broken in me. What I carry with the shame the guilt all of the things in the closet whatever it might be. What a gift. As Paul is writing to the Colossians that Jesus said yep in your deepest darkest death. When you were farthest from me, I made you alive. I gave you breath like no one can. We cannot fix ourselves in our own power. We don't need a three-step plan. We don't need more knowledge. We don't need more strength. We don't need more time. We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. That's what we need. We need to have the ability to rest in his work on the cross, not in our work trying to earn it from him. When I was in high school, a lot of people don't know this. I I thought I was gonna be a police officer and uh, I was wrong, I was wrong. I actually did a bunch of other things. I was like a law enforcement explorer, which now that I'm an adult sounds really weird. Um, I like met at the police station once a month and we learned stuff. It was kind of, it was really fun actually. I know how to clear a building, right? Can you say that? I know how to clear a building. That's awesome. Uh, We learned how to do felony stops and like, like the police officers trained us. So I, I actually got selected. I got to go to the Michigan State Police for a week. And I remember they, the police officers there, they were like, yep, they're going to treat you like you're in the academy. And by the end of your week, you'll know if you're going to be a cop or not. I was like, oh, okay. All right. So we'll we'll see how this goes. This sounds fun. And so sure enough, they t- it was through the American Legion. They treated us like we were uh, in, in the, the academy. So we did uh, shooting the guns. We were... They didn't let us drive the cars, unfortunately. Makes sense, right? Taxpayer dollars wouldn't allow that. So we were in the cars though, shoot the guns. We sat through hours of training. We learned about all the different departments of the Michigan State Police. We had PT at 5.15 every morning. We had to set up our room and our bed, whatever. Like we did all this, but one of the things we also had to do was uh, learn how to do water rescue. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That's sweet. I had the same thing. Like my last year of high school, uh, I actually enrolled in an EMT course right? It was through the local community college. So I was like, sure, why not, right? it's credits, I'll take it in. That'll be worth something in my life in the future, right? And so far, it hasn't, uh, except for this illustration I'm about to tell you. So all of it's about to be worth it. I was in that course twice a week, four hours each, multiple Saturdays, riding in the ambulance, and they had a section and it's called water rescue. So I'm like, nice, been there, done that, American Legion, check. And so here, here's what they teach us, okay? Let me tell you. Um, here's what they teach us. If somebody's in the water, get them out of the water, Clear their mouth and their airway, they call it ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Check if they're breathing, check if they have a circulation. If they don't, start doing CPR as fast as possible uh, and do it until you hand them over to a doctor. They reiterated to us so many different times, you are not a doctor. As much as you might think you are, after reading this textbook and passing the course, you are not a doctor. This is how they, they treated us. There's six medications that EMTs are allowed to administer at the level that I earn two of them are oxygen and glucose let that sink in for a second i roll up on a car accident which i've done before in the ambulance roll up on a car accident right somebody broke their arm or they got blood on their face or they just had a heart attack or a stroke whatever i'm sitting here going oxygen and sugar anybody anybody (laughs) bee sting anaphylactic reaction sugar would that help? It'd probably feel better. Like that. Understand the level of knowledge that is required. Um, basically, their whole mantra is like, keep them alive until the professionals can take over. That was, that was at least what I heard. I was like, why do they trust me to do this? And they don't. That's sugar and oxygen. So here's, here's when I, I think about water, right? I know all these things. I know what to do. Right, if I ever see somebody that's struggling or drowning, I, I've been trained, as you can I have the knowledge. But role play this with me. Role play this, okay? Let's say we're, in, uh, we're on Lake Michigan. This is in Chicago, this is where I'm originally from. So let's say you're, you're walking along the pier or whatever, and you notice somebody that slips and falls into the water is freezing. Your body does something really interesting when you hit cold water. It actually, as soon as it hits your face, um, your body jumps into a different type of response where it starts taking all of the blood from your extremities. It drops your heart rate significantly. It's trying to keep you alive. Some of us understand that in totally different areas of our lives. We understand what we try to do to keep ourselves alive. But here's what happens in cold water and the longer you struggle is you actually start losing the ability to do anything for yourself. The longer you fight, the longer you struggle, the longer you're in and the colder it is, you actually lose the ability to fight for your own life. So imagine knowing everything I know, let's say I'm walking along and I see somebody way out here and I'm going, Oh, uh, I've been trained. I know what I'm supposed to do, but if I jump in, I might die. So I start thinking, what, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I, I need to help them. I need. So imagine, this is what so many of us would do. From the shore, we would posture ourselves and we would start yelling, like, hey, keep swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right, can you, can you get to shore? We're over here. Like, go ahead, come on, swim. And it's like knowing now the physiological response is like, I, I can't do a whole lot right now. I'm getting mad at you. I'm using some energy doing that. But I can't move myself. I can't save myself. Then let's say they start slipping unconscious. Let's say they start taking in water. Now they're just floating out there. Right? Panic starts to set in. You, you can do whatever you want. You can take your EMT textbook, whatever, and just chuck it to them. It's not going to do them any good. They are dead in the water. They're dead in the water if that is my response. What do they need? This isn't complicated, right? What what do they need? They need a rescuer. They need a rescuer. I can't can't rescue them. They need a rescuer who can rescue, they they need someone who, who actually has the ability to save them. You see the metaphor. Right? There's people drowning all over the place, but spiritually. You know what's funny about drownings? Just as I studied this too, uh, most drownings actually occur around lots of people. So it's actually possible, like most of us think like, oh, you would drown like when you're totally off by yourself and nobody else is around. No, actually, most of the drowning incidents occur among other people. Is it safe to say that most spiritual drownings happen among groups of people of which nobody notices? Right, and the, the, the harder you try and the harder you struggle and the harder you're trying to earn it, there's like a, a slow death that's taking place in the heart. And often what we do is when we pick up on it or we see... We go, hey, uh, let me toss you this Bible and then hey, just fix it. Like you, you can fix it. And it's like, what, 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 do you, what, what do you want me to do with this? And often we go, well, I, I can't save you. And, but I've, I've been saved. Maybe if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say, well, Jesus, Jesus saved me. Here, read it, learn it, change it. It'll change everything for you. Use it as a flotation device. The purpose of this book is not to save you, it's to introduce you to your savior. There's a difference, there's a big difference. Paul is writing to the Colossian church. He's saying, you need to meet your rescuer. It's not about what you can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. At some point, an introduction needs to take place where you meet your Savior. God has preserved this book for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years so that as we read it, we can come to faith and understand who Jesus is and the life that he has called us to live as his church. One of those things in there as followers of Jesus is we're supposed to look for people who are drowning. And right now, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of people that are struggling. They're treading water and they're losing momentum. They're losing the ability to keep doing it for themselves. We all know this. You can't earn your way to eternity. You can't save yourself. But God said, here's my my plan A. It's my son, Jesus. As he goes to the cross, as he hangs there, as his blood is shed, as his body is broken, as Jesus hangs on that cross, God says, that's my rescuer. That's who I'm sending for you. And then his church is called to introduce the world that is lost and broken and struggling and drowning. Our job is to introduce people who need Jesus to the person of Jesus. I need to ask you this question. Is there anyone in your life that's spiritually drowning right now? Just pause. Is there anybody in your life that is spiritually drowning? I'm going to share a statistic with you that's going to shock you, but it's about drowning. One of the things they taught us as EMTs is your job is never to declare somebody dead. That is not your job. You do not have the right, you do not have the training, you do not have the ability, and so we revoke that from you. You do not get to decide when someone is dead. Our job is to do CPR and to try as much and as long as possible. They were telling stories of of EMTs or rescuers giving CPR to people for hours. You know how exhausting that is? You know how exhausting it is going after people who are drowning? It's exhausting. You want to know something? Here's the stat that will blow your mind. The longest person to survive cardiac arrest due to drowning after continuous CPR, the longest that they were dead was six hours and 52 minutes. Six hours and 52 minutes of no heartbeat on their own. Here's what we were called to do as EMTs. You do CPR as long as possible and you keep going and you keep trying and you keep working and you keep trying to introduce them to the person that can save them. Church, that's our job. Called to be EMTs, right? You're like me, you can administer things like oxygen and sugar. Right? Somebody's going, my, my marriage is falling apart. My life's falling apart. Maybe my kids are going nuts. I'm hooked on whatever drug or substance, my, whatever. Like You fill in the blank. Somebody, has somebody ever like presented you with a problem that you're like, oh, wow, okay, you got a real good point. I have no idea what to do. That sugar, oxygen, like with this, and they're going, I'm dying. Here's my problem. If somebody can survive six hours and 52 minutes without their own heartbeat, what can God do for somebody who is dead? He can bring them back to life. Here I did it and demonstrated it through the person of Jesus. Our role as followers of Jesus is to introduce people to their rescuer, wherever that might be. In the classroom or the break room, in the bar or at church, in the locker room or the laundromat. It's on the seat next to somebody on the bus, just like it is on the airplane. Maybe it's in your neighborhood or it's in Ukro, Ethiopia. Our job is to introduce people to their rescuer because a simple introduction to the person of Jesus could change everything. It could change everything. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Here's the commission. Here's the invitation to the church. If you say, I am a follower of Jesus, Paul is writing this now to the Corinthian church saying, God is making an appeal to a drowning world through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your role, your job, our role, our job is to simply introduce people to their rescuer. That's it. And to do it over and over and over. And you say, man, they weren't receptive. That's okay, keep trying. Over and over and over. Man, I've lived next to my neighbors for 30 years. They're never gonna change. Yeah, six hours, 52 minutes. Over and over and over and over to continue introducing them to the rescuer. Our job is not to declare people dead. Our job is to go after them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He's asked us as his church to partner with him to do the same thing because only he can save them. What is God's response to the drowning of our world? to the division, to the brokenness, to the war that gets put on display? What is God's response to the behavioral modification program that so many of us are administering to ourselves in our own life? What is God's response? He gives us his son, who does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So today, what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna step into a time of communion with him. Here's why this is significant. Jesus says, every time you take this, I want you to remember that I am your rescuer. Every time you take communion, I want you to remember when you eat the bread, I want you to think of my body, which was broken for you on the cross. There's broken." as he hung there, put on display as a mockery. I mean, even we just read it, right? It declares victory over all of, uh, all of the, the creation that is broken, that is wretched, that is, that is damaged or dead. Jesus, as he hung there, it looked like a defeat for the church, but it was actually a victory because what was defeated was the dominion of darkness. So Jesus says, when you take the bread, I want you to think of my body which was broken for you. And then when you drink the wine or the grape juice, when you drink it, I want you to think of my blood. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. There was a sacrifice that needed to take place in the Old Testament to make God's people right before him. An animal must die, a perfect blemish free animal must die so that its blood could be shed to cover over the sins of the people. Here's what God is saying and reminding all of us. It was Jesus' blood. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the one who laid his life down, that it wasn't our doing, it wasn't our fixing, it wasn't our behavior. It was his. So we're going to move into a time of communion together. So we got a couple of stations in the room. There's two on the sides. There's two in the back. At any point during this next song, if you if you have given your life to the Lord, start by posturing your heart and say, God, I bring nothing to this table. I can't fix myself. I can't resurrect myself. I can't undo what I've done. There's nothing I can do in my own power to save me, but I'm gonna remember you. And then walk up and grab the cracker, grab the bread, grab the wine and the grape juice, come sit down and when you're ready, go ahead and take that just on your own at any point in these next two songs as we respond to the rescue operation of the cross. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you wanna take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.